0: Please listen carefully. And hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Heard It Here Sports Podcast. It's a pleasure to be back with y'all. As always, I'm your host, Cooper Heard. Gonna be talking today uh, about some NBA basketball. Gonna be talking about the Christmas Day games that took place uh, yesterday. I'm recording this on the 26th. Um, there are five games. Couple of them were good games. Couple surprising uh, blowouts, uh, namely the Boston blowout over Toronto. Though to be fair, Toronto was uh, without the services of Pascal Siakam. Um, More surprising, I would say, though, the Philadelphia 76ers in the 230 game blowing out the Milwaukee Bucks, who had the best record in the league thus far, had the reigning MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, I'm going to talk about that game later, but Giannis was not effective. I believe he was 8-for-27 shooting from the field, Uh, Joel Embiid took a lot of the... He actually guarded him on the opening play uh, of the game and did so, I don't know if I would... Probably a majority of the time throughout the game. Maybe not a majority, but um, at least in the opportunities where they were both on the floor, uh, Joel certainly was guarding him quite a bit. Um, Giannis was attempting a lot of jump shots, just was not... Falling for him, and he he was taking a lot of jump shots early, uh, never really got to the rim. Joel, obviously, is one of the most imposing forces at the rim, uh, especially for a guy like Giannis. I think it's one thing um, if you have one of the prototypical rim protectors of the 80s. I think the one that, uh, actually, you know who'd be a good example uh, is Mark Eaton. Uh, Mark Eaton, I believe he may be the all-time leader of, like, blocks per game, at least for eligible players. Uh, he, he, he averaged, like, three over three blocks a game during his career. Just a massive guy, uh, dominant interior force. He was um, 70s, 80s. He, he would not be able to guard Giannis. Giannis would absolutely destroy him. He would just be able to... Uh, Giannis is much quicker than a guy like Mark Eaton. He's just got much better footwork, I would imagine. I'm sure Eaton had good footwork, but he was not a nimble guy, to be sure. Joel Embiid is nimble, which you don't generally say about a player that's over 7 feet tall, but Joel Embiid is nimble. Uh, I, 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 I'm getting too much into this. I was going to cover these games uh, in depth later, but... Um, Talk about the other three. Rockets played the uh, Golden State Warriors. This may have been the most predictable upset of the day, to be completely honest. Uh, the Warriors pulled out the victory over the Rockets. This is a game D'Angelo Russell and Draymond Green both played. So both of the um, both of the <laughs> I guess eligible superstars for the Warriors uh, were playing. That's not the right word, but you get the point. Um, Russell Westbrook really set the tone for this game by coming out and taking uh, the first shot of the game without passing to anybody or um, doing anything to get a real shot. He ended up going 11 for 32. Uh, Yes, I said 32. Um, 0 for 8 from the three point line. He was 8 for 8 from three, though. So congrats, Russ. Uh, The free-throw curse is over. Don't have to worry about the the walking outside the three-point line thing anymore. The voodoo doll thing is dead. Russ is a three-point shooter. Sorry, he's not a three-point shooter. He's 0 for 8 from 3. He's a free-throw shooter, though. 8 for 8. Um, Did grab four offensive rebounds and eight defensive rebounds, so... At least he got a double-double. Only five assists, though, so... Uh, not a good game from Russ. Four turnovers. Just all all around. I, I don't need to read off Russell Westbrook's stat line for you. Um, the shooting numbers are what really jumps out. And what really jumps out is when you stack that beside his teammate James Harden. James Harden, quite possibly the front runner for MVP this year. I, I think most uh, most people would probably have Giannis just due to the success of his team. But, I mean, the Rockets are 21-10. and It's not like they're a bad team. Um, James Harden in this game, though. uh, Sorry, so Russell Westbrook did put up 30 points on his 32 shots. James Harden, 24 points. 24 points on 9 of 18 from the field. Um, So 50% from the field, which seems all right. He shot 6 from 10 from 3. To be honest, though, I don't really remember seeing him this game. That's an exaggeration. This was a Russell Westbrook-dominated game. Uh, Thirty-two shots from Russ compared to eighteen from Harden, and I mean, Harden was what three of eight from two-point range. He was just—he was not very effective. Did have eleven assists, uh, three steals too. I don't, I don't really remember those. Whatever. Um, I think the point is. You probably don't want James Harden taking 18 shots uh, and having Russell Westbrook take 14 more than him. That's probably not... I'm, not, I'm no uh, analytics expert, but I don't believe those numbers are in anybody's favor. Uh, nobody's except for the Golden State Warriors. Uh, speaking of the Warriors, though, Draymond had his 20 points. Uh, D'Lo put in 20 points. Had one uh, three-pointer off the catch... Uh, in the corner, that was just beautiful. It, it really so he was one for ten from three this game, but he's just taking a ton of bad shots. He looks bad on a bad team, just because he. Um, I, I I think this is a guy that will be better with Steph on the floor, not in terms of his statistical production, but I think he will play more winning. He, I I don't think his game is. Um. antithetical to winning basketball I just believe that when he is on the court and he is the alpha and the omega in terms of offensive creation that is not <laughs> not particularly conducive to winning Um, I, I'm I would be very excited D'Angelo Russell I believe was an off-ball guy at Ohio State before he was drafted like he's 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 is not a dominant point. He does not need to be a dominant point guard. He shouldn't be a dominant point guard. His off-ball three was just beautiful. It was quick too. Um, I I'm very excited to see what happens next year. When uh, just assuming next year when Steph and Clay get back and this is a good team, they're competitive. What does he look like on that kind of team? He's probably not going to put up the same numbers, but he could be a really he, he So he could be the third or fourth best player on a, I don't know if it's going to be a truly, ti- I don't know if it's going to be a true title contending team next year, these these Warriors, but he'll certainly be certainly be a playoff contender. He'll certainly be a contender to win a round or two in the playoffs. I, I think D'Angelo Russell will be a solid contributor as a starter on that team. I don't know. It'll be exciting to see. Um, you hold him up against a guy like, um, Tobias Harris, Chris Middleton, I think those are the two that got Chris Middleton a near-max, Tobias a full-max um, this this past summer. I, I think you probably value D'Angelo Russell a little more. Maybe Chris Middleton, um, just because of his defensive prowess. But I do really like the versatility of D'Angelo Russell in terms of, I think... He's going to uh, – so I don't think it's going to be um, – I think it's going to take time to flesh out the, the play between Steph and D'Lo and Draymond and Clay, uh, et cetera, next year. But I believe that has much more potential to be effective on um, a winning team. In addition to his versatility in lineups, I think what you can do in a championship team with a uh, secondary ball handler like that, but a guy that you could also put on your bench and have as like a super six man as the offensive initiator off the bench. Obviously, these are not the same type of players, but Lou Williams is kind of similar to that, right? Like, you start... Yeah, I um. So if you're not a title-contending team like the Clippers this year, you're probably starting Lou Williams on a in in a decent number of games, especially in the regular season. You just you just have to. He's one of your best players, um, but when he comes off the bench for you, and he's your actual primary offensive initiator, oh, he's deadly. And clearly, D- D'Lo is pretty much playing with bench units as it is this year. Uh, not in this game, but in general. Um, and, and I I don't think he's done particularly well with it, but it would be just very interesting to see once he's in a winning environment, an um, environment with obviously guys like Steph Clay are around, but just playing with them and fitting into their greatness. I don't see this as a guy that is, you know, super envious of others, so someone that's selfish on the court. I don't see any of that. Um, I, I'm very excited to see how he fits into a high-level winning environment. And I think that's probably something we're going to see next year. So I um, <laughs> went on a bit of a tangent there. Um, the other guy, though, that definitely deserves to be shouted out from this game uh, is unfortunately not Eric Pachal, who had seven minutes, which I'm not really sure what happened there. Uh, kind of, he, he did have two fouls and a, a turnover in his seven minutes, but I would have liked to see him, because uh, surprisingly, I have not tuned into a ton of Warriors games this year. Uh, I have not tuned in to see the, surprisingly, 8-24 and Warriors. I thought they, wow, they must have gone on like a winning streak recently. Oof. Um, No, but it was not Eric Paschal. Uh, it was Damian Lee. Uh, the... So actually, Kai Bowman um, played pretty well himself. Four points, but had six assists and five rebounds uh, off the bench in his 22 minutes. He uh, is the he is an undrafted rookie this year who the Warriors got on a two-way contract. Uh, I mention that because Damian Lee is the other two-way contract guy. Uh, was a two-way was on a two-way contract for the Warriors last year. Uh, most people probably know him. Uh, for being Steph Curry's brother-in-law. Uh, I think after seeing this game, though, against the Rockets on primetime TV, it's probably time we start um, considering the fact that Damian Lee's probably a legit rotation player. I think he's probably, you know, worth 6 to $7 million on the open market right now. And, it, I mean, if he plays like a starter... You know, albeit on a pretty awful Warriors team, but if he plays at a starter level on this Warriors team, like he's going to be worth, I don't know, in this market. If he averages 18 points, uh, 14 points on 38% shooting, he can get 10 million a year. I don't know. It really just depends on where this goes um, with his game. He is not necessarily a young guy. I want to say he's, like, 27. I'll see if I can pull it up. But he is, uh, so, yeah, he's 27 years old, um, turned 27 in October. I mean, that's not old, though. <laughs> like, I, I feel like we say that, and it's like, oh, you go for someone that's young, you get the 20-year-old guy. Well, well I think what we've seen in um, throughout history so I think the example I'm just going to jump on, because it's easiest and people understand it, is P.J. Tucker. P.J. Tucker came into the league in his mid to late 20s, um, and he's been not just a solid role player. He's been one of the best role players in the NBA. He's He was quite possibly he and Trevor Ariza were the most important role players on one of the best teams of the decade on that 2018 Rockets team. He came into the league in his mid twenties. It just happens for some of these guys. I I think, I don't know if Damian Lee is going to provide that much value on a championship contender, but I think, Oh, you know who the other guy is actually Chris Boucher. Uh, This is his first season getting real play uh, in the NBA. And we'll talk about him obviously in the Raptors game. I'll, I'll, have to mention him but he's looked pretty good i mean he looks he does not look like a five minute a game guy off the bench he looks like a solid 20 minute role player who could blossom into more than that and i think we need to um just just be aware of that natural prejudice you have not not a you know not a malicious prejudice but just when you see a guy's 27 and you aren't familiar with him, you don't really know his game. It's like, well, only <laughs> well, if he was that good, he would have been in the NBA when he was 24. Like, we I mean, yeah, I I don't know. That's just how I think about it subconsciously. Um if he's that good, he would have been in the NBA last year. What took him so long? Why is he on a two-way? He's 27 years old. Um I think you just got to... I think you have to try to understand that there are extenuating circumstances. There's life. Some people are simply late bloomers. Uh, some people it simply takes longer in life to figure out you know, the world around them. Um, some people just don't really get the opportunity. Some people deal with injuries. Some people... You know, I don't know. Some people's parents pass away and they have to go take care of their younger brother. It's, there's, life happens. You know, life happens. Some people just aren't good enough. Some people have to go play for four or five years overseas and figure out how to play basketball. I, I, I this is just one thing. You can tell that I haven't podcasted in a while because I'm going on these uh, mini rants. But I think that's just one of these things that's commonly uh, mis just misrepresented in uh, discussions about the NBA. I, I I do not really understand why we um just underrate these guys, uh, or just, for lack of a better word, cast aside guys who come into the league late into their career. Uh, Even, you know, when we talk about the draft, Cam Johnson going 11th overall. Cam Johnson going 11th overall was probably not a great pick because of his injury concerns. I mean, his age, whatever. Like, if you can get a guy who's 22 or 23 for eight 10 years, that's and they're like a good role player. You get them with the 11th pick, you did your job. If you go back and redraft any NBA draft of the last 20, 30 years, ever probably, and you go to the 11th pick, that guy is not usually going to be um, a great role player. He's not, he's certainly not going to be a star. There aren't 11 stars, that's for sure. And if you can get a guy at the 11th pick who gives you solid production for 10 years, Brandon Clark is like 23, you know? And I think we, a lot of people who listen to this are probably excited about Brandon Clark. Um, I think there's a reason for that. I, I think we sort of see the potential and rapid growth in his game. I think we saw that because he was at college but what we don't see is a guy like Damian Lee when he's playing in the G League when he's um you know not in the public eye we don't see his rapid developments it's just not as clear a guy like PJ Tucker going overseas we don't it's it's not in the public view the rapid developments we're making and therefore we can't really evaluate it like we could with Brandon Clark who was playing on a um on a national level at Gonzaga it, it, i just i I think we have to start acknowledging there's just so many good basketball players and so many young players that get you know they got it they get a chance there's some players that it just takes a while there's some play uh, Kristen Wood is a guy who came in as an undrafted free agent he was like a he may have been a top ten recruit he was definitely a five star he may have been like a top ten top five recruit um Finally catches on with the Pistons this year after four or five years. Sometimes, sometimes it just takes time. Um, again, I digress. Uh, let's move on to uh, the last, <laughs> uh, the last game worth watching of the night, unless you are a sadistic Nuggets fan or a hedonistic uh, New Orleans Pelicans fan. Uh, the Battle of L.A. <laughs> So, this was the other heavyweight game of the day. Obviously, the uh, Philadelphia versus Milwaukee game was also a, uh, a battle of the Titans. This was the selling point, though. This was what was going to get the league um, in the national eye. This, this, was, this was what was being advertised on TV. It's the battle of L.A. You know, we finally get to see the superstars play. I was personally um, not sure we were going to get to see both um, or either of the LA uh, the Lakers guys just because, you know, they've been dealing with injury. Um, I, I think <laughs> these guys have something great that they're playing for. If they have injury, they're going to sit. They just have to do it. Um, clearly, though, they were able to come back. You think maybe LeBron... Um, is simply trying to manage injury during the game, uh, some of the times with the way he plays. So, it's sort of, and I think that's a way, if you go back historically and look at it, guys have played in the past. You simply uh, conserve energy, but more than conserve energy, you manage injury while playing. You, you just simply don't play with the reckless abandon of a guy like John Morant or early career Derrick Rose. You do not expose yourself like that. Even if doing so would create some spectacular plays, it's simply not worth it. Not most of the time. Um, I digress <laughs> once again, though. Um, this was awesome because we did get to see LeBron and AD versus Kawhi and Paul George. Uh, It was very clear that Paul George was the, um, I would say, the weakest um, on-ball creator, the weakest shot creator of the group, at least in this game. You know, that's actually not fair. Paul George has been a pretty awesome shot creator in his day. I think he was a little slighted in his later um, Pacers days. I believe it was the seven-game series they had versus the Raptors. Maybe it was the 16 playoffs where, you know, everyone was absorbed with everything else going on. But that was... So Paul George uh, just had one of the most dominant series I had ever seen in that matchup. I, I think it was like the 4-5 or, or something. It, it, Paul George was just... I mean, he was carrying that team. It, it was incredible to see. He was carrying it versus uh, DeRozan and Kyle Lowry together. A duo. That's almost always what you see. Paul George is out there just doing it himself. So... Um, I think this perception of him as a dependent star is probably probably a little bit of an exaggeration. I would consider him a complementary star, uh, someone that is very additive to a star like Kawhi Leonard or would be very additive to a star like LeBron James, um, but has functioned very well at a very high level as a number one talent on his own. I mean those Pacers teams that were taking LeBron to seven games. Are you, are you seriously telling me Lance Stevenson was was the second fiddle there? Like are you telling me George Hill was really his, his second star? Roy Hibbert was his his go, his his Robin to his the Robin to Paul George's Batman? No, come on now. Paul George was out there doing it himself, at least in terms of carrying the load as a star player. Um, Roy Hibbert, uh, George Hill, George Hill was close to an all-star level a few years there. I think he was maybe an all-star, or or at least played at that level a a couple of years. You know, Lance did have a great season that one year. Um, The point is, though, Paul George has... Shown himself to be a very versatile superstar. Um, that's something I might want to talk about in the future. I think he may have a case, at least in terms of modern superstars. Uh, he and Clay Thompson are the two guys. I think it's, and I think you would need to. So, okay, let me let me reframe this. I think Paul George is one of the most versatile superstars in the modern NBA because, as I described or as I mentioned. He can act as a, a primary number one superstar on a team or he can go to a team like the Clippers with Kawhi and be a secondary complementary star. Um, I I would be very interested to see whether or not Clay Thompson could actually be the level of first uh, number one superstar talent that Paul George does. Obviously, that probably gives you slightly less... Um, you know slightly less value in terms of you're not playing on the most elite teams but i mean are you telling me those paul george teams with the pacers on their best year if everything had gone right couldn't have won a title yeah they could they could have and if you don't think they could have you were revising the past they took lebron to i think i think they were up 3-2 on lebron in 14 maybe uh in one of his last years with Miami. I mean, those teams were really good. Paul George was their number one star because... uh, Sorry. They were really good because Paul George was their number one star. Like, they built a very good team around him, but I would say it's similar to the Baltimore Ravens this year with Lamar Jackson. I think the Ravens have done an incredible job building a team around him. I'll be honest. um, I, I saw him some in college. I'm a Clemson football fan, obviously. Just wasn't really convinced that he was going to be like great in the NFL. He's been great in the NFL. He's been amazing in the NFL. And with the the Ravens did a fantastic job surrounding him with the right talent. But then they just got, they just got it right. Lamar Jackson came in and has been playing great. So when the um, main cog in the machine is spinning, when it's well lubricated, when it's just going. The rest of the machine is going to run perfectly fine as long as the other parts are, uh, as long as the other parts fit well. And I think that's what we saw with that Pacers team. I'd be very interested to see, you know, if you try to surround a guy like Clay Thompson. I don't know if you put him on that Pacers team. If you put him with George Hill, um, I, I don't know. It'd be interesting to try to build a team with Clay Thompson as the number one superstar. But I guess the point I'm trying to make, though, is we always consider Klay Thompson possibly the most versatile player uh, just in terms of his defense, his shooting ability off the ball. Well, maybe Paul George is really more versatile. Maybe. Paul George doesn't have quite the uh, variety of shooting off, the, off of the screens and off of movement that Klay Thompson has, but he certainly has a good bit of it. And he is, I want to say, two inches taller uh, than clay. Clay has that, you know, lightning fast release. Paul George can <laughs> he can shoot. Uh and he can shoot off the off the ball. Uh sorry. He can shoot off of screens and off of movement at a very effective level. Um I, I think people might underrate that. But PG's got the I don't know, PG might be a better defender than Clay Thompson. They're close. Um and, and I think Paul George has a little more a little more heft to him. Um, I think Clay has, he's just got like a quicker reaction time, maybe a little more disciplined just in general. I think with Paul George carrying more of an offensive load, you might come to expect that. Um, I, I'm not going to make that claim definitively, but I think it would be worth discussing whether Paul George is a more versatile superstar than Clay Thompson. Um, and, and that phrase superstar is key there because I think Paul George can be your number one on a title team. I don't think he's going to do it this year. Uh, I think there's too much talent right now in the league, but seven years ago he could have done it, you know? I mean, uh, if you build the ultimate team around him, it's possible. I, I think what I would point to this year would be Miami. I think we would all agree Miami is by no means a perfectly constructed team. They have James Johnson, Dion Waiters, Myers Leonard, and Kelly Olynyk taking up about forty million in salary. In between them, they have like a, a role player and a half. I guess Myers Leonard has been like starting for them, but I'm just saying that's not a perfectly constructed team. They're relying on. <laughs> Duncan Robinson, who I remember watching at Michigan, watching him shoot clutch free throws and being like, oh, this guy could be in the NBA someday. He like goes over to Europe for a couple of years, really develops. No, he's already in the NBA. It's been like two years and he's putting up like seven threes a game. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, but I guess my point is they're relying on a guy that got you know, undrafted out of, the, uh, out of Summer League that year because he shot 50% at Summer League. They're relying on a guy that was undrafted on the Santa Cruz Warriors last year because he got a domestic uh, violence charge when he was in college and had to transfer to Oakland College. Uh, They're they're relying on Tyler Hero, the kid from Kentucky who I don't I don't have anything on Tyler Hero. I like Tyler Hero. He's actually good and he's the thirteenth overall pick. He can't really. I mean, he's a rookie though. So thirteenth overall pick, and he's a rookie. I, I, I think you know there's a reason I said his name. It's because he's a rookie, and you don't really expect a rookie to come out and produce like that this quickly. I, I guess the point is, they were certainly. Um, think of it this way: the a, a lot of the older cities like in Europe and stuff, and a lot of down south here in South Carolina, a city like Charleston. Um, these cities are not were not patterned out in like a grid pattern. They were not pre-planned. Their roads kind of just go where they go. You kind of just go around the city because stuff kind of just organically grew. Um, In a big city like Boston, I would assume, the streets are... So I think Paris is the classic example because in World War II, the soldiers just marched up the streets, but it's it's grid-based. It was pre-planned out. Everything was you know preset you know that's really good for driving and naming the streets and stuff but it's it's not organic um it's so i guess the point i would be making here the organic city it is a lot easier to start it just happens you just have people that live there and eventually more people live there and their kids live there and all of a sudden oh there's 10,000 people that live here. I guess we should create a government and like a fire station and stuff. Um, but the the that's that's what the heat are. The heat were not this pre planned, gridded out city where they said five years ago, okay, we are going to do X and Y. Uh, we're gonna it's not like in 2014 after the playoffs, they're like, okay, here's what we're gonna do we're gonna lose LeBron James. We're going to sign Chris Bosh to a a big old contract. He's going to be awesome for a year, and then he's going to get horrible blood clots, and he's going to have to retire. Uh, Dwayne Wade's just going to bail to... uh, Oh, my God, I forgot about all this. He's going to bail to the Bulls because we refused to pay him $30 million in 2016 when he's, like, 35 years old. Um... Not that it's unreasonable by buy D-Wade and get your money, but just <laughs> how unreasonable that 2016 market was is just appalling in retrospect. We're going to do that. Then we're going to pick up uh, Dion Waiters off of the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah, you remember that guy, the former f- number four overall pick? Yeah, we're going to pick him up, and uh, he's going to be our best player. And, uh, oh, also, we're going to go ahead and... Um, Go like 10 and 31 to start the year. And then we're just going to go ahead and go like 31 and 10 to end the year. Um, if that's cool. that's I think we're just going to do that. And then after that, we're going to overpay all of our players. Uh, and Kelly Olinick for good measure. Just, you know, why not? I mean, it seems like fun to overpay Celtic. Um But then after that, we're going to, throughout this whole time, develop Josh Richardson, the second rounder. You're a great prospect. He's going to be our best player in 18. And then we're going to ship him off for Jimmy Butler, because uh, don't worry, we've got our actual star in the wings, Bam Adebayo. Uh, so he'll just team up with Jimmy Butler, uh, and they'll be fine, because we'll just pick up a couple undrafted rookies, uh, and our 13th overall pick will be really good as well. So that team will be fine. I don't think, I don't, I don't think that's Boston. I think they are very much Charleston. Um it's it's a lot more fun that way. It's very interesting. Um so let's let's go ahead and get back to this LA LA matchup. So a couple of other observations I wanted to make. Obviously LeBron very cold in the first half, just not really doing a whole lot, kind of chucking up some jump shots. Like I said earlier, it seemed like he was kind of managing injury during the game. Um, Anthony Davis looked fine. Whatever. He, I mean, Anthony Davis is not one of these guys that just comes in and you're like, wow, Anthony Davis on every play. Like, there are a lot of plays he does not impact. Uh, just I think that's just the nature of the type of player he is. Um I, I am very glad that he's developed a lot more offensive skill and it's just that he's shown it on the court so his coaches trust him. Um, he definitely is still like he'll be out there on the perimeter just kind of getting the ball passing it around but he is not going and you know probing the defense very often which i I, I would imagine he's going to continue to develop that and I'll be excited to see it in action. Um, the big story though for the Lakers obviously was Kuzma hit like five shots uh within three minutes it, uh at the end of the first quarter when he was put in ended up scoring like fifteen points in seven minutes or something like that uh ended the game with twenty five points overall in twenty seven minutes yeah, it was fine he he hit a couple of really nice threes that were just like cleanly down um I mean when he does that he's 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 awesome he's just not nice. He looks like a great, like, spark plug bench scorer. I, I don't know if he's really your long-term starter on a championship contender, uh, unfortunately. But, I mean, look at a guy like Lou Williams. Lou Williams is a vital contributor to a championship contender this year. Kuzma could do that. not <laughs> Obviously, a much, much different version of... Of spark plug uh shot creation. But still spark plug shot creation nonetheless. Um I think if you can do that and be efficient most nights, obviously you'll have some nights where you are off, but the thing, and I'll mention it with Lou, is he's he's usually been able to create for others enough to stay efficient on his off nights. We'll have to see it with Kuzma some more, you know. I'd say Yeah, he had twenty seven minutes, seventeen field goal attempts. Uh, zero assists. So that's just not really his forte. Um he was he was good though. Rondo was pretty solid. Caldwell-Pope, uh KCP had a phenomenal chase-down block on who was it? Um who did he block? I don't know. One of the Clippers, he just he had this amazing chase-down block on him. I cannot for the life of me think of who it was. Um Probably somebody on the Clippers though, I'm I, I I feel pretty confident in guessing that this player was on the Clippers. Um, yeah, KCP though, <laughs> it was just a classic KCP game. Uh, he was five for eight, hit two out of his three threes. One uh, was another one of these just so clean, just like hits the back of the rim and drops down, um, like pretty deep off the wing as well. Again though, he just. Especially down the end of the game, he's just he's not someone that can be creating shots for you. He is he does not have another gear. Um guys like Lou Williams, they have another gear that when they need this one particular shot, they know how to get the best look. I don't think KCP quite has that. Uh actually, to be more accurate, I don't think KCP has that best look to get to i think he just he has a bunch of 35 percent jump shots that he can get to at any time because they're like inefficient jump shots um he's solid though and i i think his defense on guards was fine um he obviously he's not like he's just i think they tried putting him on Kawhi at some point like he's just that's he doesn't do that Kawhi is so strong. You need, like, a strong forward or just, you know, one of the strongest guards out there if you're going to try to guard him. Like, you you don't... Marcus Smart would be a decent test for Kawhi, but, I mean, Marcus Smart is the exception to the rule. Um, A couple other observations I had. I did say I, I wanted to come back to Lou Williams. Lou Will... 30 minutes in this game, only one of six from the field. Uh, he did hit four or six free throws. Um, but he put up seven assists, uh, four turnovers as well, but seven assists for a guy we usually think of as just a gunner. Uh, I thought that was very interesting. I bet you if we uh, went through and tracked them all, like maybe all of those, uh, maybe, maybe maybe just five or six, maybe all of those assists were to uh, Montrez Harrell. Their connection is just, it is legitimate. It is beyond just a, these two guys play a lot and they're good pick and roll players. They have like a legitimate chemistry um, that is very impressive to see on the court. Uh, Lou Williams, even if he's not scoring, he's just, he's always going to draw the attention of the defense Um, because he's, maybe he's not the most dynamic scorer at the rim, but he's got like the floater game, he's got the mid-range game. He's just deadly from everywhere. He's not just some three-point shooter. So when he drives, it attracts gravity. And (laughs) and Trez just has this way of getting open that is really just fun to watch. He was 8 from 12 from the field. It's just all of his shot attempts are efficient. Maybe every once in a while he'll take like a hook shot or something just to spice things up. He's pretty solid on that sort of stuff too. But 18 points on 12 shots is a big man. Not, you know, he's not really going to the... He had two free throws. Like, he had two free throws. Two free throws all game. He's not really getting contact. He's, like, slipping to the rim and getting there. um, Kind of uncontested a lot of times. Um, I I would say about him, I thought he looked better defending uh, than I would have expected. I think he was, you know, up against Anthony Davis a couple of times. He's a little... For lack of a better word, he's a little meatier than I would have thought. Uh, I always figured Montrez was more of this, you know, more of a not a string being, not a sp- string being a guy per se, but more of a skinnier guy, you know, just high energy, uh, wiry. Not I. I didn't think he was like you know KD looking, but I thought he was more on the skinny side, and that maybe he had sort of built into his strength some as he's coming to the NBA. But I, I just. I remember him from Louisville, um, and I don't think he was. I think he was strong, but he was, you know, like six seven, six eight, with like. I, I don't know. He wasn't some buff guy. He did not look center size. He looked power forward size. He looks like a center now. He looks meaty. He looks thick. He's a big guy. Um, I was I was pretty surprised to see that, just. I haven't really watched him that much. I guess, just watching him go up against um, the big guys for the Lakers, I was impressed. I will. So I I think one of the most common things you hear about the Clippers is yeah they they need to shore up their interior defense. Uh, yeah, the big man spot is just a real question mark. If if Montrez can actually defend big guys like Anthony Davis, yeah maybe not he he maybe he's not shutting him down but 80 was 8 for 17 and obviously um, it's not like mo had the only I not not mo sorry trez it's not like trez has the only matchup on him but I mean, he was matched up on him a good bit he, i he, i think he did well um and if trez can actually be your guy in closing the lineups to defend at the center position um i mean he's he's just not going to guard joel and beat probably but I, I mean, he might be your body on him, maybe. I think Embiid is just too tall. Um, I think he will just, like, shoot over Trez. I don't think AD is really, like, a shoot-over-you guy. He's more of a jump-over-you or, like, shoot, just get around you. Joel has no problem shooting over guys, so I think that might happen to Trez against him. But I, I, I guess the point I'm trying to make here is Trez is, like, a big solid body, and I had not really, um, I guess I didn't really realize how thick he is. Um, he's much more of a body at the center position than I, than I thought. Um, I, I like his game a lot, just all around. I knew, obviously, he was a great pick-and-roll player. He, he scored. I guess I just sort of, you know, never really paid attention to him in the Clippers games before. It just caught my eye this game. He's just, like, big. Nonetheless, let's move on to the last game of the night. I guess I have to just mention it since I am doing this episode. Uh the New Orleans Pelicans, the now 9 and 23 Pelicans came into Denver and spoiled Christmas, uh upsetting the Nuggets 112 to 100. Uh big story for the Pelicans was I'm going to be honest, I didn't watch this game. I went to sleep after the Lakers game because I was tired. Because I seen this game would suck because the Pelicans are not very good. Um, Brandon Ingram was the story of this night. 31 points on 11 of 18 from the field. shot 7 of 9 from 3. Wow. Um, very impressive. So, I, I, you guys may have heard in the previous podcast I did, I was able to see the Pelicans this year. Against the Hornets, uh, Brandon Amgram was playing in that game. His his jump shot just looks awesome. He looks very comfortable as a shooter, um, and he was a shooter in college. Um, I don't think it's a surprise that he is starting to put up games like this. Seven of nine is pretty amazing, but I you know I I'm not gonna be shocked to see the occasional five of eight, you know six of eight. 7 of 10, 8 of 13, 3-point game from Brandon Ingram going forward. He's a legit shooter and he just shoots over guys. Um I think that's probably where we can end it with this game. Uh now, so let's All right. I think the biggest thing we got to talk about Nikola Jokic um 31 minutes in this game was 8 of 20 from the field, hit 2 of his 5 three-point attempts, uh 5 of 6 from the line, picked up 10 rebounds including four offensive rebounds, four assists, five turnovers, two steals, uh a negative 13 plus minus. I don't know if I mentioned 23 points. Um he's just and again, I don't want to act like I watched this game and got a huge read on it, but he he's just been very disengaged all year. It's just very strange to see. He does not seem to have this sort of um, game in, game out, competitive drive. I need to win every game, every night, whatever it takes. It's more of a... He's trying to get his it's like he's trying to communicate with his teammates through his play he's very he's just up and down he's unpredictable he sort of it's like he's trying to send a message through his play style like he's trying to it's like he's trying to train his teammates that's what it is it's like he's trying to train proper habits into them for the playoffs but he's not worried about how it actually affects regular season games. It's just bizarre. Just some of the, just sort of, not ball hogging moments, but he'll just sort of grab the ball, and it's like he's trying to direct people, but he's not really directing anyone, and no one really does anything, and nothing really happens, and the play just kind of ends with like a nothing shot. And like uh, there's, there's, uh, there's just something. Up with the way he manages his team, because this is his team now. This is Nikola Jokic's team. The Denver Nuggets run through Nikola Jokic, and the fact that he is using his platform to train his teammates—that's not how this works. Not, not, not in this overt way. You know who has done this very successfully over the course of his career? LeBron James. LeBron James absolutely trains his teammates. But you know how he does it? He does it through, like, positive reinforcement, feeding them in the corner every time for three-pointers, and, like, engaging them as a person and trying to be a mentor. Obviously, way different for Nikola Jokic. He's, I think, 24 or 25 years old. Uh, LeBron, at this point, is 34 or 35. So, huge age gap. But I think, I don't know, they... It's just very, very worrisome that Nikola Jokic is communicating with his teammates in this manner. That he's using his play on the court to coach or train his teammates to do what he expects. It's 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 not He's he does not feel like a win at every Thing, or win it all costs, winning is everything guy. It's like a, look, this is my team. You're going to do it. You're going to follow me. And we're going to do my way. It's more like a Russell Westbrook approach. It's more of like a Russell Westbrook approach where, look, this is my team. Y'all just get on. And if you don't do the right things for my team, I'm not going to be happy, okay? So either... Get in line or get on the trading block. It's it's more of a Westbrook attitude that he has, Um, and to be honest, or to be fair to Westbrook, he never had these sort of episodes that Jokic has had. Um, Just in terms of the mentality that I believe Westbrook had, you know, he was the he was the nucleus of the offense. The offense ran through him. It ran uh it started with him it ended usually with him it revolved around him Jokic is the same way um and he is using it, it it is not yeah it it's it's just strange it's strange i'm just curious as to what jokic's motivations are he doesn't seem to have any long term goals or plans it's just like in this particular game I don't like what's going on with this, so I'm going to react. It's so reactionary. It's it's worrisome. Um I'm spending too much time on him. The rest of the guys though Jamal Murray only had eight points this game, uh two of ten from the field. You know, again, I didn't watch this game, but it's probably not a great sign. Uh Michael Porter Jr. only got in for six minutes. He's just not really, he's not getting a constant rotation roll, which is, again, too bad, uh, especially given all the hype we heard. And obviously, you know, the team's going to hype its players. But we, we heard a lot of hype about uh, Porter, MPJ, coming out of this offseason. So it's too bad he hasn't really been able to carve a rotation roll. Uh, Jeremy Grant was probably their best player off the bench. 17 points on 6 of 10 shooting um he was a negative 14 though plus minus this they just they just did not play very well clearly um this is a worrisome team they have won a lot of games they are what 21 and 9 this is a really worrisome team i i would um they're 13 and 4 at home so clearly like their record does not bear out what i am saying but i would not be betting on the nuggets this year I'm just concerned. Um, you almost think that maybe they need someone else in there of equal stature to Jokic to just sort of show him, like, we'll just do it this way instead. Just give him alternatives to the way that he's dealing with his teammates. Because it's not effective. And I think Paul Millsap is an incredible role model and a great veteran, but he's not a... Vocal leader. He is not a, you know, coach on the floor in terms of yelling out stuff and being the center. He's just, he's not the guy that you're going to go to uh, after every game to try to get a good quote from. He's just more of a subdued personality who speaks with his actions and his play on the court. And again, I'm doing a lot of psychoanalyzing this uh, this episode, but I, I think it's fairly reasonable to uh, assume these things from the amount of... We have an insane amount of access into these players' uh, lives at this point. Obviously not their personal lives as much, but just we have so much insight into their character and how they act and how they handle themselves because we have access to so much... Um, the... Uh, they are putting out so much content in terms of interviews, tweets, articles. They, they um, you know, video blogs, all this sort of stuff. They are just everywhere. They're always communicating. Always giving insights into how they operate. Yeah, you know, but and and again, I think when you see Paul Millsap, you know, zero points in this game, sixty sixteen minutes. So I do wonder he may have suffered some sort of injury or something. But I mean, still. Zero points in 16 minutes is still zero points in 16 minutes. Um, he's he's just not he's not that fiery sort of leader on the floor. And I do wonder if Jokic would benefit from having another guy like that. Just a, you know what it is a guy to take the pressure off. Just one other guy to take the pressure off because Jamal Murray is not that level. He does not get that level of um, well. People know he's not nearly as good as Jokic. First of all. Um, and second of all, I don't think he is, I don't think, it was. he he's just simply doesn't have the experience, I don't think. He is not the, I think Jokic too has had a lot of, like, funny media stuff. He's, like, had a lot of good media interactions. So the problem is, now, when, um, the other shoe drops and he's kind of, you know, throwing temper tantrums on the court, um... The media is sort of there, asking him questions. And he's like, what are you doing? Get off my back. I thought we were cool. The media is just going to ask the questions that are in front of them. Like, it's just going to happen. You know, it's not good. It's not bad. It just is what it is. So, I think... I, I'm just... I, I'm doing a lot of rambling on this podcast. Overall, I'm worried about the Nuggets. Um, I would not be shocked if they lost the first round of the playoffs. That wouldn't shock me, not with the matchups this year. Uh, if they're the eight, if they're the one seed, maybe not. Shoot, are you telling me these guys go up against um, Portland in the first round as the seven or eight seed? You don't think they're gonna be? Uh, a, you don't think they're gonna be quaking their boots? Denver is. Denver's gonna be terrified. They if they play Portland again, you know, you know who uh, Portland lost. They lost Mo Harkless and Al-Farouq Aminu. You know who? Uh, Denver's not scared of moharkless Harkless or Al Farouk Aminu. Um, I, I, I would be, I would be selling on Denver right now. Um, I, I would be, bet, I would bet on their first round opponent right now, not even knowing who it was. That's an exaggeration. I'm out on Denver this year. There. Jokic is awesome though. Um, just his play style. A lot of players on this team are pretty great. This just feels—it feels off. I—I um, I think a lot of it's intuition with me, but I got some alarm bells ringing up in my head. All right, so y'all may have figured this out at this point, but uh, <laughs> I think this intro might just be the whole podcast. Um, it seems to have morphed into that, so I'm just gonna double back around and talk about the uh, first two games of the night. I didn't really touch on uh, first the Boston Celtics defeated the Toronto Raptors 118 to 102. The Celtics are now 21 and 7 on the year, looking very impressive. The Raptors, on the other hand, 21 and 10. Obviously, they've dealt with a lot of injuries recently. That's really tough. Um, Interestingly, Pascal Siakam not even listed on ESPN's uh, box score for the game. Uh, Mal- uh, Mal- Malcolm Thomas is there with the DMP, broken left finger, so usually they would list the player and in his injury. i very a little, little curious to see that uh, Pascal is not listed on this injury report. Uh, not, not injury report, uh, box score. A uh, couple big uh, headliners from this game. Jalen Brown... Uh, obviously the star, I would say, overall for the Celtics. And there's 35 minutes. Put up 30 points on 10 of 13 from the field, including 5 of 7 from 3. So um, very efficient. Uh, 5 of 6 from the free throw line as well. So very efficient game from Jalen Brown, who just looked deadly from all over the court. Um, it, it's just so impressive to see a guy. Do, so. So I think we see a lot of volume scores across the league. To see a volume score that can be 10 of 13 efficient is incredible because, first of all, 13 shots... uh, Sorry, 10 of 13, incredibly efficient, very high percentage. 5 of 7 from 3, you're getting good volume from there, but you're also being, again, incredibly efficient. That's only 3 missed shots that he's taking The other thing, though, 13 shots, well, you know what that does? That allows Jason Tatum to get up 18 shots. That allows Kimball Walker to get up uh, 16 shots. That allows Gordon Hayward to get up 9 shots. When you're uh, you're putting up your 30-point game on 13 shots, as opposed uh, opposed to the 33 that Russell Westbrook uh, used, uh, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, it's a lot, a lot more effective for your team and allows your teammates to get a lot more opportunities. So Jalen Brown, very effective there. Also had four assists uh, to three turnovers. A couple other guys to mention, though. Jason Tatum, not the most efficient night, 5 of 18 from the floor. But I thought he looked pretty solid overall. He's just, again, um, he's another one of these guys that just looks really good on a, a winning team. I think there are some players that... And again, if you play for a winning team for three, four years, like Jalen Brown has at this point, or Jason Tatum, obviously you're going to start to look like you belong on a winning team. Uh, Marcus Smart is actually the prototypical one. Obviously, he's a great, great player, but his first couple of years, I don't think he looks like he belonged on a winning team or anything near it. Uh, Obviously, his first couple of years, they weren't a winning team or anything near it, but... um, It's just very interesting that they've been able to mold... I think, number one, they've been able to mold these guys into quote-unquote winning players. But I think, number two, they've just taken guys that fit into that sort of uh, team better. I I think Danny Ainge just probably has a very impressive... uh, I think he just has an eye for that sort of thing. Um, So Tatum, you know, I mean... So I I mentioned 11 points, but 6 assists, 2 steals, uh, 3 turnovers, but... I mean, uh, actually, worth noting, he had six assists. Gordon Hayward also had six assists on 14 points. Uh, and Kemba and Jalen Brown both had four assists. So the starters were all passing, the, uh, whipping the ball around to each other. i, mean, I got to be honest, the Celtics team just looks awesome. They look more... So if I was going to put a comparison on them, it would probably be like 2015, I don't know, 2015 might not... I'm going to say 2014 Spurs, knowing that that's not the right answer. Um, it's like, like the, you know, great value 14 Spurs and like Ennis Cantor is like really, really bad Tim Duncan. Yeah. I might get my basketball podcast shut down for making that comparison. Um, no, but I guess what I mean is the Boston Celtics are just so – they're such a good passing team. They are just so willing to give the ball up between each other. And it, that's, it's just so funny to see this the year after Kyrie left. I, I mean I, I think what the – con- the conclusion I've come to is that number one, Kyrie did not belong on that team. Uh, But number two, it was just never going to work. I think the Celtics, even when they had Isaiah Thomas, just had a much more free-flowing passing game. Isaiah Thomas was like a great catch-and-shoot shooter. Um, He would obviously create a lot, but they also just didn't have very much creation then. Um, And what has happened, when Kyrie got there, obviously during the regular season they did their thing, but they were just becoming a much more distributed team, taking... So I mean, they had Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown. Obviously, they didn't have Tatum that. F- or, sorry, they didn't have Hayward healthy that first year. But they have guys now that can all effectively move the ball. Not just move the ball around the perimeter, though. They can catch the ball on the perimeter, probe the defense, see if they can find a a weakness, a vulnerability. If they can't, they pass it back out. But if they can. They attack it and are able to make an intelligent decision um, and either move the ball on or attack to score. And I think when you have four guys like that, um, and then all of a sudden you have Kyrie sitting in the middle, mucking things up, because Kyrie is just not going to make the right pass every time. Well, the whole... um, the, the the whole fundamental reason that guys are willing to give up the ball on a team like the 14 Spurs is because everybody gives up the ball. And when you give up the ball five times, you know what? You're going to get the ball five times because the ball keeps moving. And when you have Kyrie and when the ball gets to him, it sticks, and when he has the open pass, he shoots instead. Well, I mean, if I'm a guy like Terry Rozier that hasn't got my money and – I'm 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 a backup point guard. I'm a young backup point guard. I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to make a name for myself. If I'm playing with Kyrie, he's not making the extra pass. He's not gonna give me my shot. Well I'm not gonna pass. I'm gonna get my shot. If I'm Jason Tatum and I'm trying to fight for an all star team, I'm trying to you know I'm trying to begin my legacy. I think I'm gonna be an all time great player. Well <laughs> Well, if Kyrie's not going to pass me the ball, I'm not going to pass the ball. I'm I'm trying to get my numbers. Um, I think it is... I think it's just kind of the way that Kyrie plays. He is a superstar, and the Celtics are no longer a team built around a superstar. Very interesting. They're much more, you know... I I mean, O four 4 Pistons, I guess, is the other one you point to. You didn't really have a superstar. They're not like that, though. They don't have any sort of... um, defensive anchor um the way they did the, the way those pistons they, they don't they don't have did huh did robert williams not play this game yeah i guess robert williams didn't play i i you know i didn't really consider it until now but i i don't see him listed in the box score either so robert williams was out that that would be more interesting to see him in the starting lineup obviously though i don't think i mentioned this the raptors also were missing uh marcus saul so, again, this was not a full-strength matchup for the Raptors. I, I, I guess what I wanted to say, though, um, the reason I wanted to come back and talk about this game, I think the Celtics are. So I just sold on the Nuggets. I am buying on the Celtics. Maybe not as a championship contender, but they are a good, good team. And they're just so versatile. And that ability to be versatile in your lineups and in your matchups, in a seven-game playoff series, means that you don't get stale and you can't be predicted. Um, the other team cannot start to—they can't chart out what you're doing if what you're doing is different every game. And even if it's not different every game, if it's you know if it's not static, if you have fluid lineups, if you have um, different mid disparities every game, or at the very least, you just have. You know, guys that can slide to different positions or guys that can be versatile on the court. I think that makes a huge difference in a seven-game series. Um. I And I think Jason Tatum at the end of games is deadly. I think Kimball Walker at the end of games is deadly. Um. I think Gordon Hayward, he probably can hit some big shots. Jalen Brown could probably hit some big shots. They haven't recently, but... Dude, are you telling me you would not bet on Marcus Smart to hit, like, a big-time three-point shot, I just, I can see it. I can see it. These guys just, I I see, I just see, I again, this is another gut gut call. This is another um, instinctual call. I think the Celtics are really good this year, and I think they're going to win close games, and I think they're going to win um, playoff matchups because I think they're going to be able to adapt, uh, and they've got a great coach to do that. They've got a great coach in Brad Stevens who's going to be able to use his incredibly versatile, adaptable pieces to build an incredibly fluid and dynamic lineup from game to game. So, moral of the story, buy on the Celtics, sell Nuggets. Let's wait till Siakam gets back for the Raptors. And to cap things off, let's just quickly go over this uh, Milwaukee versus Philadelphia game. Uh, Philly ended up winning 121-109, to 109, but that was due to a 15-point. So um, the, the Sixers were outscored by the Bucks by 15 points in the fourth quarter and still won by 13 points, 12 points, whatever. A um, couple notes I want to hit on. Obviously, I mentioned Embiid. was awesome. His stat line, though, 31 points, 11-21 uh, from the field. Three is six from three. That was one of the biggest things, was he was hitting these trail uh, three-pointers, and uh, one of the announcers mentioned, like, that's that's a shot that the Bucs do leave open. Um, obviously, uh, Brooke Lopez and, and Wynn Robbins on the floor as well, they both are drop coverage guys for the most part. They're just hanging back to the rim, um, especially in a transition opportunity. Brooke is dropping back to the rim. He is getting deep, um, defending the paint and uh, Joel Embiid just has the opportunity to get these trail three-point shots on uh, transition looks, and when he hits them, that's, that's just deadly. It's deadly. Um, also picked up three assists, two blocks, well, only one turnover. Uh, did have five personal fouls that limited his minutes uh, to some extent, uh, 28 minutes, but, I mean, just, just dominant in his time on the court. Um, the role players also all played well. I say the role players, um, I mean the role starters. I don't know. The other starters, Tobias was solid, you know, 22 points for Tobias, 15 for Ben Simmons with, uh, 14 assists, uh, 18 points for Josh Richardson on four of 11 from three. Josh Richardson, again, he he looks fine. I really wish they could find, um... I don't know. There's just this is another team I'm a little I'm a little dubious about. Um, I I don't feel like they're maximizing Embiid, and I think Embiid needs to be maximized. So I think they probably should trade. They probably should have traded Ben Simmons a year ago, honestly. And I love Ben Simmons too, and I think he'll be amazing on another team. But I think their games are simply incompatible, and to try to mesh the two together is it's selling low on both of them. So. I think what you should do instead, sell low on one of them. Sell low on Ben Simmons. Sucks? That's what you gotta do. Because I, I think Embiid is worth it. I think he could win you a couple titles now, if you build the right team around him. Um. I guess the point I was sort of making there was I wish Josh Richardson was not the... not He's like the primary perimeter shot creator. Tobias Harris is not a perimeter shot creator. He's a mid-range shot creator, which obviously uh is is out of Embi- it's not in Embiid's post, you know, it's not in his way there, but it's certainly not a spacing kind of perimeter game, which Josh Richardson has more of. Um I think if you could get Josh Richardson in more of a secondary scoring role like he was at first in Miami. I mean he was solid as the primary scorer in Miami, especially with his like uh off ball three point shooting he was getting really adept at that. And I think if you could I mean, obviously, this is a pipe dream, but if you had, like, Lou Williams beside Josh Richardson for a part of this time, it, that would just be amazing. That'd be awesome. That's exactly what they need. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it, this is a really tough team. I, I, man, I might have to go and do, like, a podcast series on each of these teams just to try to figure them out because this Sixers team, I still have no grasp on. No grasp. I am just... I don't know. I don't know with them. I don't know. I have no freaking idea. So we'll see. Um, (laughs) They're clearly a very good team. I think Embiid, though, he's good enough to sell out and build around. And I think by not trading Ben Simmons so far, they've kind of sold short on that. Um, I get what you're trying to do, trying to maximize the talent you have, but (sighs) I just don't think it's working. Um. Oh, oh, actually, I should rephrase that. I don't think it's going to work in the finals. Most likely, unless Ben Simmons really just really develops his skill game on offense, which is not impossible. But I think with Embiid, you want to go ahead and win now until well, While you have this window, because he's already 25, I think. Um, and we've obviously a ton of injury. Uh, concerns with him historically. So I think you want to take advantage of the time that you have. Uh, let's talk about the Bucks for a minute, though. Just going to glance over. Chris Middleton did have 31 points, 5-9 from uh, the three-point line. Um, Giannis, as I mentioned, 18 points, 8-27, eight 0-7 for 7 from three. Uh, he was just taking a lot of them. It just does not look that good. 2-4 uh, from the free-throw line as well. Uh, and I don't specifically remember these free-throws, but... Just watching the Bucks um, this year, you know, throughout different games I've played, Giannis is not a good free throw shooter. He is a poor free throw shooter, and it is slightly troublesome. Um, in fact, I would say it is very troublesome because shooting free throws is—it's one of those things you either do or you don't. You either have it or you don't. Um, and I have no doubt that Giannis will eventually be able to shoot free throws, but I kind of assumed he could already do it up until last year's playoffs. And now the fact that I am now doubtful as to whether he will be, not just that he can hit a couple of free throws, he has to be dependable from the line. He's a guy that lives inside the paint. He is a strong guy that finishes through contacts. If he's not able to hit foul shots, his efficiency will plummet. His efficiency... Um, should be built a lot um, on efficient free throw shooting. You have to wonder, two for four from this game, um, I wonder if you went back you know, and looked at other games, I wonder, and again, I mentioned earlier, uh, Joel was guarding Giannis a lot this game, that's a huge reason he wasn't driving as well, but you also have to wonder, maybe he just doesn't want to get to the line as much. I think we see that with Ben Simmons, we see that with guys that are just bad free throw shooters, they don't they try to avoid the free-throw line. They actively avoid it. And I think Giannis, with some of his fadeaways and turnarounds and whatnot, I think some of it is just him trying to get shots off. I think some of it is trying to avoid the free-throw line, though. Um, and I, 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 I... We'll see. We'll see if someone can clean it up. Um, I think he needs to clean it up. Right, that's what I would say. Uh, last couple of comments... DiVincenzo, Dante DiVincenzo has turned into a I mean he's he quote unquote started this game. I mean twenty six minutes. Um he's been solid this year. He has definitely broken into the rotation full time. He's playing more than uh guys like Pat Connaughton and Sterling Brown. Um he had one floater in the lane I thought was really impressive. I'm just I'm not shocked that he's productive in the NBA. Um obviously you know tournament runs or whatever, but I mean he was just really good in that tournament um, for Villanova, and it, it was not it was not hot shooting he was He was clearly an NBA athlete just with the way he moved his straight line speed, his his quickness he was just he was uh, his, his ability to donk I mean he was just always an NBA athlete. Um, I, I don't think he's a starter, you know 17th pick was certainly certainly generous. I'm not surprised he's a role player, though. Um, Grant Hill. Oh, my God. Did I just say Grant Hill? Uh, That's a sign that uh, the podcast has gone too long. Uh, George Hill, uh, currently of the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't think they would devote a roster slot to Grant Hill, but you never know. You never know. Uh, George Hill. I almost just said it again. (laughs) Uh, Had 15 points this game. Off the bench. 26 minutes. uh, Was 6-7 from the field and hit all three of his threes. This is just a sniper from three. He has just been hitting all of his shots this year. Um, and, and watching this game, you can see why. I mean, it's just it. it every time he shoots, it looks like it's going in. It, and you say that a lot about a lot of guys, but it's not. It, it's the way the ball travels just looks pure. Everything about his, his jump shot, his jump shot just looks sustainable. It looks like he could just. Shoot from anywhere. It's just going to look exactly the same. He's not necessarily a movement shooter or, you know, a crazy, like, Clay Thompson level of get-you-open shots. Uh, sorry, of get-you-contested three-point shots. But if you get him an open to moderately-contested three-point shot, he'll probably knock it down. Um, very impressive, I have thought. Uh, overall, the Bucks again, this is another team I'm not really sure... We're just going gonna to have to see in the playoffs. I think this is going to be one of the most unpredictable playoffs of recent memory. And obviously, obviously that's true just because of the turnover with the Warriors and the uh, the Cavaliers two years, two years ago when LeBron left. Uh, and, and Miami before that as well. But I, I don't think we've seen this level of unpredictability and instability. Not, and not instability, just... um. There are a lot of fresh new lineups on contending teams. The Clippers are literally a brand new team. The Sixers, brand new, uh, Josh Richardson and Al Horford are brand new players. Plus they just brought it, you know, they have Matisse Thybul playing heavy minutes for him. Um, the Celtics are completely remade with Kimba Walker um, and no Al Horford. The Raptors lost Kawhi Leonard, and now Pascal Siakam is their star. I mean, think about the the Raptors. My God, Chris Boucher is like their fifth best player, probably. I mean, I think there's just been so much turnover uh, within these contending teams. I don't think you usually see that. I think this is very rare. Um, I think so much of this is just going to be borne out in the playoffs because – as 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 nice it is to see teams in the regular season, it's I gotta be honest, not that predictive of the playoffs. Just in terms of uh, teams that are actually in the same tier, uh, you know, if you have two championship contenders and one win, and they go three one in the regular season, the team that wins three is not necessarily more likely to win the playoff series. It's just not predictive like that. It's not accurate enough. It's not fine tuned. And the biggest advantage of playing a seven-game series is what I mentioned with the Celtics, that adaptability. Can you, after game one, see what this, the, this opposing team did and react? Can you adapt? And if you can do that, if you're LeBron James and every single year your team is able to adapt and react to what your opposing team does, you're going to be very successful in the playoffs. And if you're not able to do that and you're Kyrie Irving and you start trying to pick up Giannis on defense... Well, you're going to lose. Um, and I think it's going to be incredibly interesting to see whether a team like the Denver Nuggets lose in the first round of the playoffs and whether a team like the Utah Jazz lose in the first round of the playoffs because they are just not really flexible enough. I mean, these, these teams look really good. Um, I mean, especially Denver, you think should be a very flexible team, but, I mean, we're just going to have to see. I, I think... Um, you know i think the sixers are the one i would really point at the bucks too uh the sixers though as more of a uh, actually you can point to both of those teams as does it work uh does the heliocentrist uh offense as it's been referred to by Seth Partnow and uh others recently this uh the singular star which the offense revolves around not necessarily a brand new concept but with how widespread it's become across the NBA now with Luka Doncic and Trey Young um, becoming the new pillars for that style, it seems clear that Giannis is the uh, pallbearer of that concept and whether or not he can truly prevail in the playoffs will be indicative of whether or not that type of play style is truly conducive to winning a title. Uh, And on the other hand, um, you have the 76ers who are doing it a completely different way They have this, what looks to be an all-time defensive team. They are, rather than trying to fit around their superstar, which I believe Joel Embiid is their superstar right now. I think Ben Simmons is a great player, but he is their second best player and quite clearly um, a, a tier below Joel Embiid. He is not even close. He's not the one B in this situation. He is the definitive number two. Um... And the fact that Joel Embiid has been surrounded by imperfect talent, talented has sort of been been just um, spliced together. Um, I I am very interested to see whether that's going to hold up. And and again, that was a, that was a bit of a harsh way to put it. It's more the idea that this is an imperfect group, but an incredibly talented group. This the Sixers team. The Bucks with the what the Milwaukee Bucks have done is they've taken Giannis Antetokounmpo an MVB caliber player, and surrounded him with the best talent to suit his game, even though it's probably less talented than most championship contenders we usually see in terms of if you assign a raw score of talent to each player, you say, okay, Giannis is 5,000 talented, Chris Middleton is 2,000 talented, you add all the talent up, this is probably a team with less of a talent score than the average championship contender, at least in the modern day. Um, I think maybe 15 years ago, the, the game simply wasn't as, quite as competitive. You have, When you look at the Sixers, though, especially if you're just doing that starting lineup, I mean, if you look at the Bucks starting lineup, and they started Dante DiVincenzo this year, I mean, not this year, this game, I mean, even, even if you had uh, George Hill in the starting lineup. You still got Wes Matthews, and Brooke Lopez is great, but when you look at the starters for the 76ers and add up that supposed talent score, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, Al Horford, Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris. It's not even close. It's not even close. But what they don't have is the perfect fit. They have as much talent as they could possibly find, but it's not quite as well tailored around their superstar, Joel Embiid, uh, who I, I think is just much less consistent on a game-to-game basis as Giannis. But I think it's pretty clear, at their peak, Joel Embiid can match Giannis Antetokounmpo. And that's not a slight on Giannis at all. Joel Embiid is just, like, phenomenal. He's one of the best players to ever play in the NBA. Just in terms of raw... Um, You put him in one game and see how he performs. I mean, he's just so incredibly talented, both physically, mentally, and with just his basketball acumen. Um, I'm just really interested to see, you know, does the team, the Sixers team, where you just stack as much talent and throw it against the wall, you know... (laughs) One, I want to give a shout-out to Ferdinand Kormaz. I can't believe he's been so productive uh, as a role player for them. The fact that they do have, like, four guys they can go after off throughout the bench, uh, that is very promising. The Bucks have, like, seven or eight guys in their rotation, usually, off the bench. So that's another question. When you get to the playoffs and rotations are shored up, you know, are the Bucks going to lose some of their advantage when they stop pulling from their bench as much? Or... Are they just going to be more rested now that they've been, you know, the Sixers have to play their guys a lot of minutes every game. Sixers got to play Ben Simmons. I mean, so this game, Ben Simmons, 38 minutes, Josh Richardson, 37, Tobias Harris, 35, Al Horford, 33, and 28, but that was because of foul trouble. Like, these guys are going to play mid-30s every game. The Bucks, Well, the Bucks played, you know, honest, 30 minutes. Brooke Lopez and Chris Middleton did play 33 minutes each, but the point is they are just resting much more often, uh, at least on a game-to-game basis. So, I, I just overall, uh, it seems like the Bucks and the Sixers are the two most talented teams in the East. Probably the two contenders to come out uh, and participate in this year's NBA Finals. Um, I think both are quite imperfect. Um, qu- they they have clear flaws. It's just a matter of whether the other contending teams will be able to exploit them. While plugging their own equally exploitable flaws, and that's what's so interesting about this year's uh, playoff matchups. The potential playoff matchups is everybody has flaws. Like that's the thing with the Warriors is they didn't really have flaws to exploit. It was kind of like, well, I guess just like try to be really good and like maybe they'll maybe they'll let you win a couple games. Like you don't you don't have to hope for that now. You can actually exploit the other team's weakness and build your roster. To exploit. So, you know, if I'm the Toronto Raptors and I know I might have to face the 76 in the playoffs, I'm going to go trade for Marc Gasol so that I can match him up against Joel Embiid. That's, that's exploiting a weakness. It, it, maybe it's not a weakness per se, but that's, that's a dramatic move that is um, a matchup-based move. These teams are just so different, and they have different ways of winning and different ways of being exploited. And it's so interesting to try to see teams gear up for different variations of who they can face in the playoffs because, um, as I mentioned, I, and I'll probably mention it a lot in the future, the versatility of your lineups, the ability to be able to go in you know, to your bag and just pull out 12 different combinations in a game – Um, and have those 12 different combinations be different than the 12 combinations the next game, I think the advantage you can gain is just immense, um, especially once you're in the playoffs. And and I think what's going to be really interesting as we approach this trade deadline, um, and I'll have a trade deadline podcast coming out probably um, next week, it'll be really interesting to see which weaknesses these teams try to shore up or which uh, of their rival team's weaknesses they try to exploit with the pieces they acquire. It, it'll be very interesting. You'll know which teams are worried about the Sixers, by which teams acquire big centers they think can defend Joel Embiid. You'll know which teams are worried about the uh, the L.A. juggernauts, especially the Clippers, by which team moves most aggressively to get Andre Iguodala. These are the sort of things I think we can just look at, this trade deadline, um, this year just overall in basketball it's just a uh, simple analysis i think those are some things we should consider going forward i think i think um clearly i've got a lot of thoughts we're going on about an hour and a half here so i think um i think i might have to just let y'all go i think we might end it here for today i hope y'all enjoyed uh, i had a lot of fun watching these games yesterday and definitely felt Like, catching up on them today was very productive. Um, As I mentioned, I'm going to try to do a trade deadline podcast probably over the weekend. I'll have that out next week. Um, And I'm thinking I might try to do some more team-specific breakdowns, try to watch some more. I've been just covering the NBA, covering college basketball. Obviously, as I mentioned, I'm a Clemson fan. I watch a lot of college football as well. Um, I want to... Try to get in the lab, per se, and sort of watch a couple of, uh, you know, one team, watch them for a day or two and just watch that team. Really focus in on them. Get an idea of the identity and the translatability to the playoffs of a few of these teams, uh, the Bucks, the Sixers, namely. Um, I think the Celtics might be a very interesting team to look at. But the Rockets probably another one. Um, I think that might be another thing I try to do soon. Uh, Alongside that, I want to try to do some rookie stuff and some uh, NCAA prospect stuff. So just just stay tuned for all of it. I'm going to try to be... uh, I'm probably going to be much more active going forward. Uh, Now that I'm into winter break, I've sort of got some free time, got some uh, energy to devote to this sort of stuff. So again, I hope you all enjoyed. If you managed to make it this far, be sure to leave a five-star rating. Uh, leave a review if you would like. Hope you all enjoyed. I certainly did. I'll, I'll see y'all soon. Peace out. And out.